Well, last week we looked at the importance of the Great Commission. The motivation behind the Great Commission is the Great Commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And until we love God as we ought, we will never obey God as we ought. We looked at that last week, that obedience is really the motivation behind our obedience. Our love for God is the motivation behind our obedience. In Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, uh, we, it was a great lesson we can learn from the church at Ephesus to keep a sense of urgency in our lives as believers. For the church at Ephesus, they need to remember, repent, and return. And just so in a nutshell, we realized that uh, what was it they were to remember? They would remember where they were at one time, how they used to be so close with God and how they were in love with Him and, and they were willing to serve Him and obey Him and, and yet they were doing some good things and yet even in the midst of doing some good things, they had begun to slip backwards. And so number two, they were to repent because they were in a state of decline. God wanted them to repent. In other words, once they were confronted with the truth, God wanted them to turn about face and go a new direction and walk in newness of life, so to speak, back in a place of obedience and return to doing what they had once been doing. So as we continue in our series today, I want to call your attention back to the Great Commission. The verse thought of Matthew 28, 19 is the word go, or as in the original language suggests, as you are going, I would submit to you today that as we are going, we need to pray. We need to be people of prayer. And uh, that's where I want to concentrate in the message today is praying for those who yet need a relationship with Jesus Christ. So if I could encourage you today, be thinking about the attitude of the lost, the attitude of Jesus, and the attitude of the world around us, and then we're going to look at some things and how we should pray for the lost. So as we get started today, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to come before you. We ask, God, that you would speak to our hearts. We ask, God, that you would just, in, in a way that only you can do, Lord, challenge us, but not only challenge us, change us, Lord, to be the person that you've called us to be. And Lord, I pray that as we go out from this place that we will be people who pray for the lost around us, Lord, because they are, the reality of a, is a world without Christ is a world that is destined to go to hell. And we ask, God, that you would, Lord, motivate us, renew our sense of urgency, our sense of love for the lost, Lord, in a way that we would pray for them. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first attitude I want to look at this morning is found in John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It says this, a very familiar verses, probably for many of you, some of the first verses that you've ever learned in your walk with the Lord. John 3, 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world in this way, he gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world that He might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, But God proved His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want you to see a couple things about these verses. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. But I want you to see not only what God did, what was His attitude toward the lost? He loved them. And if that was His attitude towards the lost, should it not also be our attitude? That God loved the world, and if we're to be like Him, we should love the world around us. And that we care for their eternal estate. But His love 
prompted him to do something. And that's the second part of the verses there. He so loved the world that he died on the cross for the world. You know, we said many times that the first part of that definition of love is that love is a decision that results in an action. Let me say that again. Love is a decision that results in an action. You know, in our everyday world, as we think about our relationships with our family, as we think about our relationship with our relatives and so forth, if we say that we love them, it prompts us to do. It's one thing to say, well, I love you, but I'm not going to help you. It's one thing to say, I love you, but I'm not going to come alongside you and encourage you. See, love, if it is real, if it is genuine, always takes another step and produces an action. That was the, the example, the demonstration that Christ gave us on the cross, is that he loved the world, and then he died for it. His love was verified through his actions. Some people say, well, I have compassion. Well, compassion without action is not compassion. Do you get that? Compassion without action is not compassion. It might be empathy, it might be sympathy, but it's not compassion. When I have compassion for somebody, I do something about it. So the attitude of Jesus toward the lost was that he loved them. He cared for them. And as a result, he died for them. What was the attitude of Paul towards the lost? In Romans chapter 10 and verse 1, it says, Brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation. I don't know about you, but I can't always say that. that those, are, those are some really convicting words that Paul exemplifies for us. He says, my heart's desire. What is your heart's desire? Man, that's a convicting question, isn't it? Because I know me, I don't know about all you, but I, I know me and that's not always my heart's desire. My heart's desire is to get, to do, to be, and everything else that this world says that should be part of your life. But he says, my heart's desire and prayer. Once again, here's a decision that has resulted to action. He has made a decision because it is my desire, because I love them, is that I, I'm going to pray for them. And my prayer to God is for their salvation. I wonder, what is our heart's desire? And do we pray as we ought for the lost? Let me give you another attitude. The attitude of the lost world. We know what the attitude of Jesus was. It was to love them. We know the attitude of Paul was, and as he wrote so much of the New Testament and the Pauline epistles, was that he had a desire and prayer for the lost. But what is the attitude of the lost world that we live in? I want to look at four passages. The first one in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. says, But the unbeliever does not welcome what comes from God's Spirit, because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. Now I want you to think about that just for a moment. The unbeliever does not welcome the things that come from God's Spirit. It is foolishness to them. They're not able to understand it since it is a spiritual matter. Let's go on. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbeliever so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So not only do they not understand, not only is it foolishness to them, their eyes are blinded to what is really truth. So is there any wonder why they don't get it at times, quote-unquote? Is it any wonder that they don't understand why you are committed to God and to the work of God and the church of God? No, it ought not confuse us as to why they don't understand it. 
2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this age. And we know the God of this age is the devil, the world that we live in. And God, by the way, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 really makes it clear what some of those things are. It says, for all that is in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world. But yet it's the very things that distract us and really grab our attention, our focus, and it's, according to God's word, going to pass away. He said there's only two things that will last forever. Two things. If you don't know these, write them down. Two things that will span the test of time. It's the souls of men and the word of God. That's it. Your houses are not going to last. Your vehicles are not going to last. Your 401ks are not going to last. The souls of men and the word of God is what will last forever. So, they cannot see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. 2 Timothy 2.26 Then they may come to their senses and escape the devil's trap, having been captured by him to do his will. It's almost as though God's word is reminding us is that the unsaved world, those who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, are trapped in their estate. The devil wants to keep them trapped so that they cannot come to a saving knowledge of Christ. All the more reason why we have to depend on God to do what we cannot do. Isn't that amazing? Honestly, if God knows your heart and knows my heart, wouldn't it be wonderful to say, you know what, I, I, I'm going to lead this guy to the Lord and he's just going to come to the saving knowledge of Christ. His life is going to change and I'll tell you what I'm going to do for him. Problem is, you can't do that. That's the work that only God can do. Even if you wanted to. We have to depend on God and his strength and his word to convict men and draw them to himself. We can't do that. We are seed planters, we're waterers of that seed, but you've got to be busy doing it. Matthew 13, verse 13 says, For this reason I speak to them in parables, because looking they do not see, and hearing they do not listen or understand. So there is a world around us, man, we got this truth and we got the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and the world doesn't understand that. Are we surprised at that? We shouldn't be, because that's their attitude towards the gospel. They don't know any better. They don't know any different. Which brings me to this point. This is why we need to pray. And I want to put this out there before us as the new year starts. Will you commit to praying for the lost? Will you commit to praying that God would do several things in the heart of, the, of lost people around us so that we may have an opportunity to share the truth of the gospel with them. So, here's the question. How then should we pray? I'm going to give you several things to write down here. Number one, pray for workers. If you would take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 9. In Matthew chapter 9, he makes it very clear here. It says, Then Jesus went to all the towns and villages. And I'm going to come back to that phrase in just a moment teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them, because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. I want to jump on two phrases before that last one. The first one is this. Jesus went to all the towns and villages. One of the reasons we mentioned a week ago is that we don't get out and share the gospel is that because we, don't, we have forgotten 
We, we've been inside the four walls of the church, so to speak, for so long that we've forgotten what it's like outside these four walls. And sometimes we can get in our comfort zones and we can get to where we feel very secure in our homes and with the people that we know and love and trust rather than getting out and about where unsaved, unchurched people are. Jesus didn't just sit back and say, well, hey, this is my home. People want Jesus. They can come to me, see me. I'm just going to kind of hang out right here. Everybody knows where they can find me. People all around this world know where there's churches. They know where the word is going out, where the stories are being taught. And yet a lot of them will never enter the door of the church. You get that? There's a world that won't come inside here. And as we've found out because of their attitude about the gospel, they don't care. Jesus went to them. He went out and about to the towns and villages. And then he says he felt compassion for them. He could sense that they were weary, worn out, like sheep without a shepherd. And here's what he said. Here's what you need to pray for. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into the harvest. Could it be that God wants you to be part of his harvest? Work? Could it be that God wants you to be out and about sharing the gospel, planting seeds, watering some seed? Are you willing to do that? I think the first thing that we need to pray for is for workers. Pray for workers. And oftentimes as we're praying, we realize that God may be speaking to me to be that worker. In fact, Romans chapter 10, verse 14 says, But how can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? Somebody's got to be the one who heralds the good message. Somebody's got to be the one who's going to speak the word so that they can come to the saving knowledge. So how should we pray? You pray for workers. And while you're praying for workers, pray that maybe God would use me to be that worker. Number two, pray for boldness. See, that's a huge thing, because I'm so timid, I'm so shy. Uh, you know, man, I'm really not you know, wired that way to just talk to people. Pray for boldness, because here's what God's Word says. In Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verses 19 and 20, says, Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known the boldness of the mystery of the gospel. Think about this. He says, pray for me that I would have boldness to make known the mysteries of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough in him to speak as I should. Isn't that awesome? Here's a guy who's written so much of the New Testament. You would think in our mind's eye that here's a guy who's just got it all taken care of. He's bold. I mean, look at all the things he's done. He says, oh, wait a minute. You better pray for me because I can't do this without him. And none of us can. Pray for boldness. God's word has already reminded us in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it says, but you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You have the power. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be scared. God has given us a spirit of power, love. One more, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, 
I love this passage. It says, And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your slaves may speak your message with complete boldness. Isn't that amazing? They were praying for boldness. Not just boldness, but complete boldness. It says, While you stretch out your hand for healing, signs, and wonders to be performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and what? Began to speak God's message with boldness. You know what I see there? Is that when they prayed for boldness, God gave it to them. I wonder if we would pray for boldness if God would give it to us. You see, if you're praying for something, that means you want it. But often, I don't know about you, but I don't pray for things I don't want. You say, well, duh. <laughs> right. Pray for the things that really tells us what we really want. That's why Paul says, my heart's desire and prayer, as he prayed for it, God gave it to him. So we need to pray for workers. We need to pray for boldness. And number three, we need to pray for opportunities. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 3, it says, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the message to speak the mystery of the Messiah for which I am in prison. What's he saying here? He says, I want the door of opportunity. I want that opportunity. You know what I'm convinced of oftentimes is that God gives us opportunities. I'm wondering if we're not just too busy and not looking for them. As I said many times, the church goes to work. The church goes to school. The church goes up to the gas station. The church goes up to the grocery store. The church talks to the neighbor next door. The church is out and about everywhere. Are we asking God for opportunities as we are out going about to plant seed, to water seed, to possibly be that person that God would use to show someone else the truth of the gospel? We need to pray for opportunities. And then I think number four, we need to pray for clarity, understanding, and God's power. Here's what we see also in Colossians chapter 4, verse 4. So that I may reveal it as I am required to speak. He says, I want to say it right. I want to, and let me just say this. If you have a story, you can tell the story. It's that simple. I mentioned that last week. What were the circumstances that God used in your life? Who are the people that God used as instruments to teach you the truth? And as you submitted to that working of God and your Holy Spirit working in your life, as you came to the knowledge of Christ, what were the circumstances? What did God say? What did God use? What did God impress upon your heart that you surrendered to his leading in your life to come be a part of his life? What were the circumstances? If you've got a story, if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you can share that with someone. God will teach you what to say. He'll bring to remembrance the things that you need to know. And as you walk with him, he'll teach you some more things as long as you're relying on the Holy Spirit to do it and not yourself. 
Acts 26, verse 18 says, To open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. Why does he say that? Remember what he already told us? is that this. is that they're almost, It's almost as if the unsaved, the lost world, is trapped by Satan. And they're in that snare and they can't get out. So he says, here's what, pray to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, turn from the power of Satan to God, that by faith in me they may receive the forgiveness of sins and share among those who are sanctified. He says, listen, we need to pray for this. We need to pray according to 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and 5. My speech and my proclamation were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with powerful demonstration by the Spirit. Think about this. You can't convince someone to come to the knowledge of Christ. You can't. You can't do that. Well, let me just tell you, let me just prove to you that there's a God. Now let me prove to you that the Bible is right. Let me prove to you that it'll change everything. Now we're convinced of it as believers, right? Right? I hope you are. But here's what he says in verse 5. So that your faith might not be based on, one's, on man's wisdom, but on God's power. It's not my words that are used to convince you to come to Christ. So we need to pray that God would give clarity of thought and word and speech so that it's not my persuasion, but God's drawing. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5 says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in the power and in the Holy Spirit with much assurance. Because you know what kind of men we were among you for your benefit. He says we modeled it too. You see, you can't live like a heathen in the world around us and live according to everything that the world has to offer and say, oh, by the way, I'm a Christian. You should be one too. They're incompatible. You have to live it out if you're going to present it. Does that make sense? Man, I want to sell you this Kirby vacuum cleaner. Well, do you have one? No, I use Hoover, but you know, Kirby's where it's at. Yeah, you, my generation above, know that one. Remember the door-to-door? On a Kirby Generation 4. No, thank you. you got to live it out. If you're going to present it, you better be living it. Number five. Pray for conviction of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.37 says, When they heard this, they came under deep conviction and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what must we do? You know, when you live it out, you model it, and you exemplify it. And then God gives you that opportunity to share the truth of the gospel. You need to pray that conviction coming from the Holy Spirit would work in, them, in their lives, and God would begin to use that to draw them to himself. Next, we need to pray for ears to hear and a heart to believe the message. If you would, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to read a little bit longer passage here. Matthew chapter 13 It's a very familiar passage, but beginning of verse 3. It says, Then he told them many things in parables, saying, Consider the sower who went out to sow. As he was sowing, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on rocky ground, and there wasn't much soil, and they sprang up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, there were scorched, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered, Others fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them. Still others fell on good ground and produced a crop, some 100, some 60, some 30 times. And what was sown, anyone who has ears to hear should listen. We need to be praying that as the seed goes out, 
that where it falls, it would fall into good ground and good soil, that they would understand it. He says, he has ears to hear, let him listen. Why is he using these parables to tell this, you know, to, to present this truth? He says, well, the disciples came up and asked him, why do you speak to them in parables? He answered them, because the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given for you to know, but it has not been given to them. For whoever has more will be given to him, and who have more than enough. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. For this reason I speak to them in parables, because looking they do not see, and hearing they do not listen or understand. What do we need to pray for? We need to pray that those around us, where the seed is going out, that they may have ears to hear and a heart to believe. Once again, remember the attitude of the lost? They don't know. We need God to be working in their hearts and their lives. And then the last one. We would pray that the Father would draw them and they might have faith to believe. That the Father would draw them and that they might have faith to believe. In John chapter 6, verse 44, it says, No one come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Father has to do the work. And let, oh, if I look at God's word correctly, and I think I do, I think it's his desire that men come to know him. Wasn't that the main purpose for sending his son Jesus Christ to this world? Not to be served, but to give his life a ransom for many, to seek and to save the lost, Luke 19. Wasn't that his primary purpose? If that was God's primary purpose, what do you think would be important or should be important to us as his children? I think we should be about the same things that God was about. That we would share the truth of the gospel in our. That would <laughs> listen. If you're, if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, as Jonathan ever says, if you snatch you from the pit of hell and put you on solid ground, you have something to rejoice over. You have a new destination. You have a new home. But what do you do with that truth? Do you share it? Are you praying that God would open up doors of opportunity, boldness, conviction in their hearts that they might have ears to hear and that the Father would work in their lives and use the circumstances that he gives you to, to see them come to know and, 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 be, and trust in, in Jesus Christ as their Savior? I, I hope that we are. Are we praying for the lost? Here's what I'm asking you today. And I believe that if Jesus Christ were... Standing right here in person beside me, I think he'd ask the same question. Would you commit to pray for those who do not yet know him? Will you make that commitment? This morning, I want to, as I've been saying the last couple of weeks, I want to just challenge you with something this morning. On the back table, there is a blue piece of paper on the, on the credenza on the way out. It says scripture prayers for the lost. It takes many of these passages that we've looked at, but just does one thing. Leaves a blank so that you can put your friends' names in there that do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. John 6, 44. Father, in the name of Jesus, I plead that you will draw a blank to Jesus Christ in true faith and repentance. In the name of Jesus, I ask you, Father, to quicken blank who is dead in sins and trespasses, Ephesians 2.1. Praying back the scripture for the friends that you know need Jesus Christ. 
On the back of this sheet is something I've called the 411 initiative. 411. Let me explain it to you very quickly. 411. Four. Why four? It's because I just chose four. No other reason. Here's why I'm praying, saying this. I think all of us in this room know four people that need Jesus. Would that be true? Thank you. I think all of us know a handful of people that need Jesus. Choose four. If you want 24, there's room for 24 on there. But consider praying for four people every day. One for once a day for one minute. Four people once a day for one minute. Here's what I'm saying this. So many of us are so busy, so focused on what we think we have to get, do in a, and get done in a given day that we don't pray for the lost. Now, I know that's not true of you guys. It's true of me. I know you guys probably are already doing this. Maybe not. But we need to get focused outside these walls. Amen? Over and over. And I trust me, there's another 27 verses I didn't touch on that continue to urge us to pray for the lost around us. I just picked a couple in each category. There is a world around us that is dying and going to hell. Would you pray for some? Would you make that commitment today? Just to take a minute, once a day at least, to pray for several people that you know need a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you begin to pray for boldness and clarity of thought and speech. You pray that God would convict them. You pray that they would have ears to hear and eyes to see and their heart to understand. That they would come to faith that God would draw them to himself but that he might answer your prayer. Will you just make a commitment to pray for at least four people once a day for a minute? And I think what we're going to see is that your heart for the lost will begin to grow as you continuously lift them up before Jesus Christ. Let's get back in a habit. Someone says that it takes 57 days to, for something to become a habit in your life. If you're not doing it every day, you're going to have to get back in the practice of doing it every day so that it becomes a habit to pray for those around us. This will help you to know how to pray. Praying back the scriptures with people in mind. Put them before you every day. Put this in your Bible. Pray for them daily, every day. They're on the table on the way out. If you feel so led, you can grab one. If you don't feel so led, we need to pray for other things. That God will work in our hearts to give us that burden back. The question as we leave this morning, will you make a commitment to pray for the lost? Let's see what God will do. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. If someone leaves this church over here and comes to this church, or leaves this church and goes to that church, the churches aren't growing. You may have three new families, but they come from other churches. Our church isn't growing. I really don't want to grow by that method. My desire is that God would allow us to grow from seeing people come to the saving knowledge of Him. Amen? Wouldn't that be exciting? Let me just say this morning. 
message is really geared to those who already have a, a faith in Jesus Christ. So if you're here this morning you don't know Jesus Christ, the greatest decision you could ever make is to place your faith and trust in him. To know Jesus. To have a walk with him, a relationship with him. Greatest decision you will ever make in your life. To know that God loves you so much that he would draw you to himself and allow you to have a relationship with him so that we no longer have to spend eternity in hell but be on our way to heaven to forever be part of his family. Do you know him? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to once again be reminded of your word, to see what you're doing, to see how you're working through your Holy Spirit's leading. And I ask God that you would do what only you can do in changing our hearts, giving us a heart that is committed to you and to praying for the lost. I ask God that you would work in a way that only you can. So as heads are bowed and eyes